morning. Before we get started, um, I just have to say thank you. Through the absolute hardest time in our lives, we felt carried, first and foremost, by God's sustaining grace, and then by the body of Christ. In the nine weeks that Doug wasn't home, I did not cook one dinner. <laughs> I didn't go to the grocery store. In the 15 snowstorms that we had while he was in the hospital, our driveway was always shoveled and paved. And I just want to say thank you. Because beyond our physical needs, you guys stood with us and you fought with us for Doug's life. I had been on the preaching schedule back in January, but with everything that was going on, that got moved to today. And I'm so grateful to be able to speak to you all. And I'm so grateful that I get to speak to you all with Doug here in the front row, looking so good. He's really showing off. He ditched his walker. He ditched his oxygen within a week of being home. And he's just, he's Doug. And he's amazing. And we just praise God. And, and so would you just pray with me before we get into the message. God, we praise you for your incredible mercy to us, to us all. Not just to me, not just to our kids, but to this church. You have been merciful to hear our cries for help and spare Doug's life. And we continue to cry out for others who are also suffering. I, I continue to lift up to you Stephen Iglio, who is still on a vent, whose room was next to Doug's in the hospital. And we cry out for his family and ask you to do a miracle. We praise you that a few days ago, they called his family in to say goodbye. And three days later, he's doing better than he has been in a month. God, you are not limited by anything. You are mighty and you are glorious. And we ask you to do another miracle in that family's life. But, but today, Lord God, I pray that you would give us a greater revelation of Jesus. That you would help us to see Jesus today more clearly. Help us to see his unfailing love for us. Help us to see the compassion of Christ that has been poured out on our lives. We so desperately need you. Come and move. In Jesus' name, amen. So several months ago, before any of this happened, I was driving in the car with my son, Cade. And being a good mom and wanting to set a good example, I said, Cade, can you take my phone and can you text something to dad for me? And Cade says, sure. And he takes my phone and he shakes his head and very loudly lets out a frustrated, ugh. And I said, Cade, what? What's the problem? And he goes, adults, they don't know how to text. I said, child, <laughs> I have been texting since before you were born. What are you talking about? And he said, mom, I have to tell you, you are a rude texter. Now I'm shocked because even though I don't use nearly as many exclamation points as Doug does, I'm not a rude texter. I said, okay, Kate, how am I rude? And he said, mom, you always text people back K. And Kay is rude. I had no idea that Kay was rude. Did you guys know that Kay was rude? Yeah. 
So apparently, if you text someone K, you're being very dismissive. You're being very cold, like, I don't even want to talk to you, K. Now, in my head, I heard it as like, K, but apparently it's K. So in the next few minutes, Cade, my almost 17-year-old, schools me on the proper way to text people back. And I'm so glad because now I have this understanding and I feel like I have to publicly apologize to anyone in this room that I've ever texted back, hey, I had no idea that I was being so cold and so rude and so callous. I'm so very sorry. But all of us know what it's like when somebody in life treats us in a cold and callous and dismissive way. We've all experienced that. And that's a painful thing. But when we feel like God is being cold or callous or dismissive in his responses to us, it's not just painful. It is a crushing weight to bear. And yet so often, isn't that the place that you and I go to? That question, God, do you even care, is not a new question. I can give you examples throughout the Bible of people who cried out and said, God, do you even care what I'm going through? Let me ask you this. Did you ever question in a moment of great pain or need, God, where are you? God, are you listening? God, do you care at all for what I'm going through? Can we ever rightly say that about God? Can we ever rightly say that God is callous or indifferent to the needs of his children? I think that if anybody approached any of us and said, listen, I'm feeling in my life like God doesn't care about me. I'm feeling like he doesn't care about what I'm going through. I have no doubt that each of us would look back at that person and say, that is not true. There's no way that is true. But sometimes it's easier for us to give those kinds of words of encouragement to someone else than it is for us to believe it for ourselves. At Deeper, our women's ministry, we started in the fall a a series called This is Jesus. And I can't wait to get back to that with our women very soon. But the point of that series is that there are so many distorted views that we can have of Jesus. And and we need to have a clear and accurate picture. We need to say, no, this is Jesus. What are some of those things that can cloud our perspective of God? And I'm going to give you three. The world, our circumstances, and our emotions. The world is loudly screaming at you and I, there is no God. And if there is, there, he cannot possibly be good. Next, our circumstances. In the hard seasons of life, we could sometimes question, God, where are you? And do you even care? Because if you did, I think that you'd prevent me from going through this in the first place. And at the very least, you would have already rescued me out of it. And lastly, the thing that can cloud and distort our perspective of Jesus is our emotions. Now, I intentionally separated circumstances from emotions. Because isn't it true that life can be okay? You know, that we're not going through anything big or traumatic, and yet our emotions are struggling. Yet we we are struggling with things like fear and anxiety, and and they're not really related to a specific circumstances. We don't even know why that they're there. Do you ever just wake up one day and and you know you felt heavy and you felt discouraged and you felt anxious and you didn't know why? Our emotions can sometimes cloud our picture and our perspective of Jesus. 
Now, even though I gave us these three categories, it would be a mistake for me not to mention to you that so often behind those three categories is something else. You see, we have a very real enemy, and he wants to distort and he wants to cloud our view of Jesus. Why does he want to distort our view of Jesus? Because he knows that if he can distort our view of Jesus, that that can keep us from going to him. The truth is that you and I desperately need Jesus. We need him for salvation. We need him for our every day. We need him for our every minute. In the room, there are so many different needs that are represented. Online, listening, there are so many different needs represented physically, emotionally, spiritually. And if the enemy can convince us that Jesus doesn't care, that he's callous to what you're going through, then you and I are not going to cry out to him like we have been invited to. For some of you, it's not just that you think that Jesus is cold or callous to you. You take it one step further and feel like God wants nothing to do with you. That you would never call out to him because he would only reject you. He would only push you away. Why is it that some of us think that way about God? And I think that there are two categories, two experiences in life that kind of lead to that feeling that God would reject us and that God would push us away. And the first one, it's because how others have treated you. Others in your life have made you feel rejected. They have made you feel not loved and not good enough. And you now take those feelings and you apply them to God. And you think he must feel the same way about you. The next reason why sometimes we feel that way is guilt and shame. It's not what others have done to you. It's not what others have said about you. It's the things that we have done ourselves. Maybe you're walking around with some deep regrets and you are carrying around a weight of guilt and shame and you think that because of those things in your life that that disqualifies you from God's love and acceptance. So whether you are not going to God because you think that he is callous and indifferent to your cries for help, or you're not going to God because you think he would just reject you, you and I need an accurate picture of Jesus. Because that is not the Savior that we have. The place that we get an accurate and correct picture of Jesus and who Jesus is towards us is not in what the world says, It's not in what our circumstances or our emotions tells us. It's in who the word of God tells us that Jesus is. And today we're going to be in a passage of scripture that will dispel any thought that Jesus would ever be callous to us. And it will crush any notion that Jesus would ever reject us for any reason. We're going to be in the book of Luke today. And this is the same passage of scripture that I had planned to speak back in January. In November, Doug and I were taking a walk, and we were talking, taking a prayer walk together. And I was telling him some things that I was learning from this passage that I had never seen before that we're going to be in. And I wasn't preparing it for a message. It was just for myself. 
And Doug gave me a lot of his hmms. You guys know his hmms? If you know Doug, you know his hmms. And he didn't really say much. He was pretty quiet. And then not long after that, Doug said, Kelly, can you preach that message on a Sunday? And I said, okay. And then not long after that, Doug got gravely ill. And looking back, I now see God's hand on our lives by Doug asking me to do that message. And I'm going to talk about that a lot more later on. But in this passage, we are going to see somebody who by all definitions is hurting. He is full of shame. He is rejected. He is even despised. His needs were many. They were physical. They were emotional. And they were spiritual. And we're going to see two things in this passage. The first thing that we are going to see is how he calls out to Jesus. But the other thing that we are going to see, which is more important, is how Jesus responds to him. So let's get started in Luke 5, starting in verse 12. It says this, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man who came along was covered with leprosy. Leprosy was a feared and it was a devastating disease. You see, because somebody who suffered with leprosy didn't just suffer physically, they suffered emotionally. Listen to what John Bloom says about leprosy. Leprosy made you die many times before it killed you. It cut you off from those you loved most in the world. It forced you to live with unclean people in a hopeless colony away from town. It forced you to call out unclean whenever people approached and suffer the humiliation of watch them cover themselves and hurry by. So not only did this disease cause immense physical suffering, it caused shame, it caused humiliation, and probably one of the most painful aspects is it caused a forced isolation from those that you love. That in the hardest time of your life, the people you love could not be near you. The people that you love could not touch you. This story is recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each gives some details that the other one doesn't. But Luke, being a physician, gives us a detail that I think was probably important to him. And what he says that the other ones don't say is that this man was covered in leprosy. The other accounts just say he had leprosy. You see, because if you had it on a finger or two, you were instantly isolated and separated. But this man was probably suffering for a very long time. And this disease had ravaged his body. By all accounts, this man was in a hopeless and a dire situation until he meets Jesus. Second part of verse 12. When he saw Jesus, he fell to his, with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And there are two things about the way that this man cries out to Jesus that is so important that you and I don't miss. And the first one is his humility. When he sees Jesus, he doesn't demand healing. 
No, he falls with his face to the ground and he begs for mercy. His unworthiness didn't keep him from Jesus. His unworthiness brought him to Jesus. This man is not the only one we see in the New Testament whose humility was a factor in their healing or their breakthrough. Time and time again, Jesus commended people for the way that they came to him and called it great faith. And in every single one of those circumstances of that great faith, you will see humility. Think about the centurion who asked Jesus to come to his house and heal his servant. What does he say to him? He said, I am not even worthy for you to come under my roof. Just say the word, and I know that my servant will be healed. This man comes in humility. The next thing that we see about the way this man calls out to Jesus is his faith. He doesn't question Jesus' ability. He says, I know that you can make me clean. I know that you have the ability and the authority to heal me. But he does have some question behind his request. And what he questions is if God is willing, if Jesus was willing. And don't many of us find ourselves in that place? We don't doubt that God is able. We know he is able. But what we question is his willingness. You know, maybe this man was saying, Jesus, whatever your will is. And, and all of us should have our wills surrendered to him whenever we are crying out to him. But maybe that's not what he was saying. Maybe after years of being isolated, an outcast, rejected, repelled, maybe he wasn't sure that Jesus cared enough to respond to him. Maybe Jesus would run from him like everyone else did. I think that sometimes we question if God cares enough to respond to us. Sometimes we feel like we need to twist his arm to do what we are asking for. Our three kids, Cade, Bryn, and Landon, they're all two years apart in age. And our poor Cade has come to realize that his brother and sister will always get to do something before he was able to. Whether that is being able to do something and go somewhere and have something, it seems like with every child, our age limit comes down a little more. Now, Kate had been asking us for an Instagram for an extended period of time, and we, wanting to protect him from some of the downfalls of social media, kept putting him off and saying no. And finally, when he was about 15 and a half, we said, okay, you can get an Instagram. And this is what he said, I know that Bryn and Landon are going to get it sooner than I did. And we're like, nope, we are sticking to that age, 15 and a half. That's not what happened. (laughs) Last spring, we let Bryn get an Instagram, even though she wasn't quite 14 yet, because we were in quarantine. and, And she wanted to be able to watch the Green Room live streams on her own, and she didn't have an Instagram. But then Landon... Every week since that time has asked for an Instagram. Every day since that time. Multiple times a day since that time. Asked for an Instagram. And we kept turning him down and saying, no, Doug and I were firm. Nuh-uh. 
you're going to have to wait for this one, buddy. Landon doesn't give up, though. <laughs> so Doug is in the hospital, and he is sedated for a few weeks on a ventilator. We're not able to communicate with him. He's not able to communicate with us, and Landon is still asking me every day for an Instagram. But this is his reason. Ready for how sweet and cute and smart he is? I want to make posts asking for prayer about Dad. And I knew that he meant that, that that was true. And I kept saying, nobody, nobody, nobody. The day that Doug came off the ventilator was a huge celebration in our house. There was screaming. There was crying. There was praising so loud that I'm sure all of our neighbors could hear us. I'm surprised nobody called the police to do a well checkup and make sure everybody was okay. But everybody was so excited and we wanted to put out the word that Doug was off the ventilator and he was breathing on his own. And Landon said, Mom, can I get an Instagram so that I could tell everybody that Daddy is off the ventilator? And I didn't say no this time. What I said was, that's a decision that I feel like I want Dad to make as well. Without me knowing, Landon texts Doug. <laughs> the day that he is off the ventilator, and I have a picture of that text. Is it up there? Dad, can I get an Instagram? What does it say again? Of course, buddy. I love you. Later that day, we are FaceTiming with Doug, and it's an emotional thing. We haven't heard his voice in weeks. It was, it was low, and it was raspy, but it was incredible to hear him. And then we start just joking, and it's lighthearted. And I said, Doug, I'm so surprised you let Doug get an Instagram. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, Landon texted you, can I get an Instagram? And you said, sure, buddy. And Doug, in that little squeaky voice, said, you little punk. <laughs> I was still coming out of sedation. I didn't know I was saying yes to you. Now, Landon wasn't trying to trick Doug, but he did pick the perfect, perfect moment to ask him. You and I don't need to trick God into responding to us. We don't need to twist his arm. We don't need to wait for the perfect moment where maybe he might be soft towards us and willing to respond. God wants to move on our behalf. If there's anything that you hear from me today, hear this. God wants to move on our behalf. He wants to move in your life. He wants to move in your family. Now, God is sovereign, and he could do whatever he wants. But he has chosen to move in our lives in response to our cries for help. He has given us this invitation. Cry out to me and see what I will do do. He is not just able, he is willing. So in whatever that you are facing today, my question is, are you crying out to him? Or have you accepted a distorted view of Jesus? Have you been convinced that no, he would just reject me? He won't. How does Jesus respond to this hurting leper. Let's go on. Verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man and he said, I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. 
Jesus wasn't calloused. Jesus wasn't indifferent. Jesus didn't run repelled by this man like everyone else had. Let's look at Mark's account of how Jesus responds. Mark 5.41 says this, Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. Be healed. Moved with compassion, he heals him. Moved with compassion, he doesn't just heal him. He heals him by touching him. Please don't miss this. Jesus did not have to touch him to heal him. Jesus could have healed him from a distance. Jesus could have healed him with just a word, but he doesn't. He grabs hold of this hurting man. Why? Why did Jesus touch him? As we said before, this man was not just hurting, suffering physically. This man was hurting emotionally. Cut off, isolated from those he loves. The hardest time in his life the time he would have needed the family the most, the time he would have needed his community the most, he separated. Jesus knows that this man needs more than healing for his body, he needs healing for his soul. And moved with compassion, Jesus ministers to him spirit, soul, and body. Jesus touched him. I said earlier that looking back, I see God's hand on Doug and I having that conversation. You see, because the weeks up to Doug fighting for his life, although I hadn't started writing this message, I was studying these verses. And I was meditating on the compassion of Christ. The first Sunday that the kids and I came back to in-person worship, was the day that I was originally supposed to speak. And as I was on the front row with my kids, I got a text from one of Doug's nurses, and she said he's not doing well. And everything in me wanted to run out and drive to the hospital and run into his room, but I couldn't. You see, before this, they had let me in one time for one hour and that was the day before he went on the ventilator and on life support. And they let me come in because they didn't think he was going to make it. And I stayed for one hour. And I didn't go in to say goodbye. I went in there and laid my hands on him. And ever since then, I had been asking to go back. And they kept turning me down. And I felt defeated. And I felt hopeless. And I felt like I was failing my husband. You see, because I know what it's like to be really sick. I know what it's like to be in the hospital and in ICU, although not as sick as him and not as long as him. But I don't know what it's like to go through that without Doug by my side. Then by God's grace and his mercy during the worship, these verses came back to me. And the realization that Doug was this leper. 
Much like this leper, his situation was hopeless and dire apart from Jesus. Much like this leper, he was isolated and away from those he loves. And much like this leper, he needed Jesus to touch him. And in that moment, the deep revelation of Jesus' compassion for Doug did not just comfort me. I could barely stand. I had to get on my knees and worship him. Because we have a compassionate Savior. We have a faithful Savior. And I knew that even though I couldn't be there with him, Jesus was in his room to comfort him, to touch him, to minister to him in every way, spirit, soul, and body. Jesus wants to move mightily on our behalf. He wants to minister to us spirit, soul, and body. We don't need to twist his arms. We need to cry out to him in humility and in faith. For the next few minutes, I just want to speak to those here who are listening who feel as though you can't call on him because he would only reject you. Let's look at verse 14. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer them sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. By all standards of the law, this man was considered unclean. And because he was unclean, like I said, he couldn't be touched. If someone would touch him, that person who touched him would instantly be unclean. But when Jesus touched him, Jesus wasn't made unclean. Jesus made him clean. You and I, by all standards of the law, were unclean. Not because of a disease in our body, but because of the disease of our soul, because of sin. Sin had broken us. And some of you feel unclean. And you feel like there's no way that Jesus would want you or accept you. And I'm here to tell you today that that is a distorted view of Jesus. I cannot give you an example of one person who came to Jesus, a broken, sinful person, and he rejected them. I can't give you one example. He was so moved for compassion for broken sinners that he came to do something about it. Let's look at the last two verses. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Mark gives us a detail that Luke doesn't, and that is that Jesus told this man, don't tell anyone, and he went and told everybody. And because of that, Jesus now had to remove himself to the outskirts of town, to lonely places. He couldn't freely come and go as he had been before that. And here's what I want you to see that is so important. Jesus and this man switched places. See, this is one of the things that I hadn't seen before that I was talking to Doug about. He switched places. This man is now welcomed back into community, welcomed back into his family, freely able to go wherever he wanted. And now Jesus was the one isolated and on the outskirts of town. That switching of places is a glimpse of what Jesus ultimately came to do for you and I. Jesus switched places with us. You see, the reason why Jesus is never going to reject a sinful person that comes to him is not because sin doesn't matter. It's because Jesus took our place. The compassion of Christ led to the passion of Christ. 
The passion of Christ is what Jesus walked through, suffered, and did in taking our sin and our shame on himself. He took it all and in return has given us life and peace. Have you put your trust in Christ? Then you have been made clean and whole. You are not a leper anymore. Don't live like a leper. Don't live under a weight of guilt and shame. Don't let guilt and shame prevent you from crying out to Jesus. Can you imagine if this leper, after being made clean and whole, went back to live in the leper colony? Imagine if he isolated himself. Imagine if every time somebody went by, he yelled unclean. That would be crazy. But isn't that what sometimes you and I do when we allow shame and guilt to keep us from Jesus? Maybe you would say, but I fail. I fall. I've put my trust in him, but I keep messing up. Okay, get back up again. Go to him again. He will not reject you. I love the line to the hymn, his mercy is more. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into the sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. His mercy is more than all of our sins. And his grace does not run out. We have not just been made clean and whole, as if that would not have been enough. We are now invited to come to Jesus with every cry and every need and see him move mightily on our behalf. Jesus has moved mightily on our behalf. The clear picture that we have of Jesus today is this, that he is moved with compassion for your every need, spirit, soul, or body. Now, I just want to deal, as I close, with two possible objections. And the first one is this delay. You know that God is able. And you have been crying out to him. And yet nothing has changed. Your marriage is still broken. Your body is still hurting. You are still suffering emotionally. This person that you're praying for is still far from God, and it doesn't seem like anything is ever going to change. You know, I mentioned two factors before of humility and faith when it comes to crying out to Jesus, but there's a third one that we see in the word of God, and that's persistency. We persistently go. We don't let delays prevent us from going. How long God makes us wait is no indication of what the answer to our request is going to be. Sometimes God has us wait, and he doesn't have us wait because he's cold and callous. He has us wait because he is accomplishing his purposes. On December 12th, when Doug was taken by ambulance from our house to the hospital, our prayer was that he would be home in a couple of days, way before Christmas, and he would be better. But days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months. And he didn't get better, he got worse. And for over two months, we cried out to God, please let today be the day that you bring him home. I have a note in my phone, a journal that I kept throughout this process, and there was a date that I put in my phone. This is the day that he's coming home. He did not come home that day. In fact, he didn't come home for another six weeks after that. But now looking back, I have to ask myself, what if God had answered right away? What if within a few days he had been brought 
home? Would as many people have seen Jesus like they have? The longer he was there, the more people heard his story. The worse Doug got, the greater miracle that God did, and Jesus was put on display for people who did not know him to see him. There was a battle for his life. I have no doubt about that. But there is also purpose in the delay. Have you been praying for many weeks and months and years for something and you have not seen the response? I tell you, today is not the day to give up praying. You keep praying. You keep crying out to our compassionate Savior. The last objection is denial. It's not a delay you're struggling with. It's a denial. There was something that you cried out for and the answer was no. And because of that, you're struggling to see Jesus as compassionate. One of the phrases that was said to me over and over again as Doug was declining was, prepare yourself for the worst. I don't know how you prepare yourself for the worst, but I did not let myself think too long about losing Doug. And I did that for two reasons. The first reason is because I believed that with all of my heart that God was going to do a miracle. And it's not because I have this incredible faith. God placed in me a vision that Doug would be here and that he would be healed and whole. And I was not going to let that go. And I was not going to give up. But the other reason I didn't let myself dwell on that too long of losing him is because I knew that it would accomplish nothing for me. I knew it would not give me peace. I knew it would not help me at all. But there are two thoughts that I let myself go to that I want to share with you. And the first one is this, that if God did take him, although it would have been crushingly painful, that his grace would carry us through. I knew that his grace would carry us through. If you're faced with some denial in your life and you can't get past it, this is what I want you to know is that when God doesn't answer how we have hoped, he doesn't leave us alone in that pain and disappointment. He comes alongside of us to strengthen us and to carry us and to comfort us and to give us a sustaining grace that is just as powerful and just as a demonstration of his love as if he had answered how we hoped. The second place that I let my thoughts go to was this that no matter the outcome that I was going to trust, no matter the outcome I was going to continue to trust. You see, I know enough of the character and the nature of Jesus to know that he can be trusted even when he doesn't answer how we hoped or how we asked. We so often measure God's goodness by how he responds to us. If he says yes to this, then he is good. But we have that backwards. We have already been given the proof of his goodness at the cross. We have already been given the proof of his love and his compassion for us. So what if we hold every no against what we already know about the character and the nature of our Savior? I don't have the answer for why you got to know in your life for something that you cried out for, but I know that we have a Savior that we can trust and that is with us to carry us.
Don't let a distorted view of Jesus stop you now from continuing to cry out because he said no to something else in the past. We have a God who moves mightily on our behalf. As I was writing this message, I was sitting next to Doug, who was also writing the message that he's preparing, and I can't wait for that message. And I was already kind of teary, kind of watching him with my side eye as he worked. <laughs> but I went from teary to weeping, which is not that hard for me lately. <laughs> but this is why, because I started studying the cross-references to the passage that we looked at today, and I hadn't yet done that until that moment. And one of the cross-references to that passage is Psalm 91. Specifically, Psalm 91, verse 15, which says this, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And the reason why I broke down was because the entire time that Doug was in the hospital, Psalm 91 was up in his room. A cleaning lady came in the day after he got there, and there's a board on the hospital wall that says, Goals for Today. And this is what she did. She took that marker and she wrote Psalm 91 across those goals. And she looked at him and she said, you read that. And she walked out of the room and he never saw her again. I had those verses printed out and sent in with our friend Keith. And Keith put that on his wall. And then he took it down and put it on the wall of his next room because Doug was moved around that hospital a lot. So those verses were in ICR and ICU and the ECMO life support floor and then back to ICU and, back, and I could just keep going. But wherever Doug went, those verses went. And I started weeping because here Doug was next to me, whole, healed, getting ready to share of all that God has done. We called and he answered, what is your need today? Is it the healing of your body? Is it the healing of a relationship? Is it concern for your child? We do not have a savior that is cold or callous or indifferent to our need or to our cries for help. We have a compassionate savior. Call on him. Call on him. See him move mightily in your life. As we close, I just have to say, if you're here today and you have not yet put your trust in Christ, why? Is it because you feel like you're too far gone? Feel like you're too lost, that you're too unclean? There is no too lost with Jesus. There is no too far gone. He has his arms held wide to you, and he says, come to me just as you are, and let me make you clean. I already switched places with you. I took all of your shame. I took all of your sin. And as we just close in prayer, I'll just give you a chance to just respond to Jesus, and it's not a magic prayer that saves you. If you say these words exactly like this, you're going to heaven. No, but it starts out with crying out to him. So would you pray with me as we close? God, we praise you for your incredible faithfulness. We praise you that you are a savior full of compassion, 
full of might, that you love to, to move on behalf of your people. And I pray for anyone in this room today who, who is needing a touch from you, God, that you would give them sustaining grace to keep crying out to you even in the delays, that you would give them sustaining grace to continue to cry out to you even if they face painful no's already in their life. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy that you have poured out on us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. You were moved with compassion and you came to save us. For anybody who wants to put their trust in Christ, would you pray something like this with me? Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Thank you for dying in my place, taking my sin and my punishment on yourself. Please come into my life. Please transform me as only you can. Please walk this life with me and one day bring me safely to you. If you have prayed that God will not reject you, he will not turn his back on you. If you're here today and you've already put your trust in Christ, but you've let guilt keep you from him, let go of that guilt today. He has made you clean. You are not a leper. And now, Lord God, let the response of our hearts be worship and praise for the great name of Jesus. In your precious name, amen.